Welcome to Big Hospitality's latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Big Hospitality and Restaurant Magazine Deputy Editor Joe Lutrerio, and today we're joined by Grind founder David Aramovich. Grind is one of the leading lights of London's speciality coffee scene with 10 locations that offer high-quality coffee, cocktails and food in trendy surrounds. So thanks very much for um, for joining us, um, D- D- David. How are you today? No problems, yeah. All good, thank you. All good. So tell us about the early days of, of the crisis and how you navigated your, your business through it. Um, yeah, it was a Monday, wasn't it, that uh, Boris came on TV and said, basically, we're not going to officially close restaurants, but we advise you to avoid restaurants, which was an interesting start to this whole thing. With hindsight, certainly, and at the time, it would have just been much more helpful to immediately close rather than kind of dragging that out for five days. But so that happened on a on a Monday afternoon in one of the first of his uh, daily briefings. So we took the immediate decision to shut everywhere except for three of our locations, our three kind of neighbourhood locations, Shoreditch, Greenwich and Exeter Market. And we decided to keep those three open, um, basically serving takeaway coffee only, you know, selling bread and pastries and milk and stuff like that from the other stores to try and run down some stock a little bit. And just to kind of keep something going for the community uh so we did that for four or five days and then on the friday of the same week uh that became a mandatory closure for rest- uh, mandatory closure for restaurants and we could have kept going under the takeaway and you know grocery model but we felt that it was the right thing to do in order to kind of encourage social distancing and make sure that I wasn't putting any of the staff in harm's way. Um, it felt like the right thing to close. How was that for you emotionally? Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just mad. Obviously, you know, I've been working at this for eight or nine years now, and we're a business that trades, you know, almost the entire year, seven days a week. Some of our locations are kind of 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. the next day. So we're kind of always going, and, and certainly for... You know, for my life, grind is a complete constant. You know, if I'm in London, I've been to one for breakfast almost every day for or lunch or something for as long as I can remember, you know, constantly popping in and out. So it's really strange having it, being in London and having it closed. Um, and it was, yeah, it was quite emotional um, when we were closing it all down and all the staff were really upset. Uh, and they were all amazing at help packing up and, yeah, it's actually quite an undertaking to close down, you know, 11 locations overnight um, in terms of securing them and the stock and all that stuff. And the staff are all amazing. But, yeah, it's very strange. I've I've come to terms with it a bit more now in the last couple of weeks. But, yeah, for the first couple of weeks, um, you know, I've been going my daily exercises in bike rides around uh, central London. And I, you know, go right around and ride past the stores. And it's, it's really strange to see them all closed. But it's really strange to see the whole of London closed. I know you have a significant roasting operation and supply consumers and some retailers directly. How many people have you had to furlough? So we have about 300 people in total and, you know, north of north of 285 are on furlough. Um, but, yeah, we have, a, we have a coffee roastery and production facility in Elephant and Castle, which we, we've roasted our own coffee for a long time, but um, we moved it into a much bigger facility uh, about a year ago, and we've become the global coffee partner for Sarah House. So when they're open, we supply all of their locations, and obviously we supply our own locations, and then we sell uh, pink tins of uh, coffee online in, in bean ground and in espresso pods. And 
that side of the business we've really been investing in and we've been investing in kit and manufacturing and new website and stuff. We're fortunate that we are not now scrambling to begin an online business, as so many people are, you know, taking their first step online. We have a very established online business with outsourced fulfillment and our own manufacturing capabilities and stuff. And kind of coincidentally, we just started to really, you know, start spending our first bit of money on advertising, stuff like that. The sales through Amazon and through our website have exploded. They've increased kind of 10 or maybe even more than that now, maybe 10 or 12 times. Are you able to keep up with demand? Yeah, I mean, coping with that has become the new challenge. And certainly, like, we manufacture the products ourselves, but we still need packaging from China and things like that, which has, you know, had its own challenges as well. So, yeah, that's that's gone very quickly from... You know, I read something with uh, the Iceland chief exec the other day, and he said, you know, he spent the last five years trying to work out how to get people to come to the stores. And all of a sudden, he's trying to stop people coming to the stores or control people in the stores. You know, and, you know, on a much smaller scale, it's been similar for us. You know, we've been obviously very focused on perfecting the product and trying to, you know, get people to buy it through our website and through our stores. And all of a sudden, you know, that's not the issue. It's just staying in stock, keeping the fulfillment centre stocked up, because we sell through Ocado and places like that as well. So, you know, keeping all these channels going. And How have you been keeping in touch with your team? Um, yeah, I mean, we've been communicating a lot. And, you know, particularly in those first two weeks, it was, you know, it was exhausting trying to work out, um, you know, what was going to happen. And, and obviously there was, you know, between that Monday and Friday that I talked about, there was kind of discussions about, some support from the government, but no one knew what that was going to look like. During that week, lots of people laid off hundreds of staff. Um, I think most of those, fortunately, have been able to hire them back now. We we held off and didn't do that in the hope that um, something would come out that would enable us to not do that. And fortunately, fortunately, it did. So yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, doing doing a few Zoom calls with everyone, as so the whole world, and. Um, also, just, just emailing and you know, using our Facebook group to communicate as much as possible with the teams as things as things change. Um, and unfortunately, as you may know, um, so look, the initial reaction to the furlough scheme was, wow, this is amazing. Um, and it went further than I thought it would, as I did, I think everyone would. You know, I thought they might do 50% of salaries or something like that. Um, so the initial reaction was that this is amazing. Um, Unfortunately, last week, as you probably know, they clarified it to say that Tronk is no longer included, yep. um, which is a massive problem for all hospitality businesses. And it means that now it's you know, effectively 80% or 50%. Much of Europe is now starting to gingerly ease, ease restrictions and some businesses are reopening. Have you thought what, what trading might look like for Grind when we come out the other side of this? This is the bit that becomes worrying, really, because, you know, at the moment we're in this state of hibernation where the government is funding most of the wage bill and, you know, we're working with landlords to agree rent holidays so that we don't really have a rent bill. So at the moment, standing still like this is not, too painful you know it's not ideal but it's not completely killing us as it is some other people because you know we're fortunate to have a bit of money in the bank but i think when you come out of this and you you're post lockdown and you're trying to operate under very strange conditions half capacity staff members wearing gloves who knows what else yeah and all of a sudden the furlough support stops and 
landlords you know, are asking to be paid their full rent again, I think that's going to be really challenging. And then because the safety the, net's just just not there. Exactly. Yeah, and then yep. you've got the yeah, you know, then you've got the added pressures of the cash kind of intensity just to get reopened again in terms of you know it's expensive to open a store. And when you've got to restock, and who knows what's going to happen with credit in the supply chain, you know, it's quite cash intensive to open and then potentially fund periods of losses when trade is going to be a fraction of what it was before lockdown. So, yeah, that's, that's the scary bit for me, to be honest. But yeah. that, that bit is scarier than where we're at today. And would you want to reopen? if you had to operate it at reduced capacity and were other safety measures in place? I think we'd probably try and avoid that largely. There might be a couple of, there'd probably be a couple of sites where it would make sense to do that. Um, but, you know, by and large, we rely on huge numbers of people coming through the door every week, which, you know, fortunately they always have. But these models just don't work without significant footfall. You know, most restaurant businesses can't survive a 10% drop in customer yeah. numbers let alone a 50 percent drop um so look, if it was a choice if it was a choice for me between reopening as soon as possible with no support or you know the support keeps going and you reopen a little bit later um when things are a bit more normal and a bit closer to what we used to know as normal then that would definitely be our preference what will the long-term impact of the coronavirus crisis be for the cafe and restaurant sector I'm quite optimistic in terms of, you know, I think all of this stuff about, oh, now everyone's discovered Zoom and Slack, they're going to suddenly all work from home. I'm pretty, I think that stuff's being overplayed. I think, you know, for sure this is going to speed up the demise of some businesses that maybe were already struggling. And for sure people are going to be less scared about remote working and they might take fewer international flights to do meetings when they could just get on a video call. But I'm not sure that, I'm not sure this is going to fundamentally stop people going to work and I'm not sure it's going to stop people wanting to go to restaurants or bars and see their friends for brunch or for a drink. So I think things will return pretty much to normal um, or, you know, pretty much exactly to normal as we used to know normal. I just don't know how long that will take. Um, I don't see a permanent drop in footfall to central London as a result of this. I just don't see it. And finally, what what are you most looking forward to doing once things finally get back to normal? Do you know what? I'm just looking like I live in Columbia Road and there's um, a great little restaurant right next door to me called uh, Marito and Sega and Wild and there's stuff on Columbia Road. I'm just... I mean, I'm just looking forward to just being able to walk out of my house and go to Columbia Road Flower Market on a Sunday and go to some of these little restaurants and just do normal things again. Like, it's just so bizarre leaving the house and having everything just closed. So, yeah, look, I think I'm just looking forward to the little neighbourhood stuff around where I live being open again, and, and that, that will be the first sign of normality for me. Well, I hope that 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 that, that arrives sooner rather than later. Th- thank you so much for for, for joining us, uh, David. No problem.